This is Coder Radio, episode 481 for August 29th, 2022. Hey, good buddy. Welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and our con surviving hero, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello. I am plane shifted back from what used to be called Dominaria. Okay. How are you feeling? Do you have any weird symptoms? Nope. I'm feeling okay. <laughs> I, uh,. I have to say, I had a great time uh, for those who don't, uh, and you should religiously follow my Twitter, but for those who are, you know, uh, blasphemers, I was at the Tampa TGC Con, and it was glorious. It was quite packed. Was it? Like, yeah, for, for you know, something of a, I know people hate when I say this, but second city to Miami in the state of Florida. Are you rocking a Starry Night shirt? Uh, it is a Mario Starry Night shirt, yes. It, it, wait, are you saying it's Mario art on there in the Starry Night theme? Yes, I have a bunch of them. I uh, I wear them oh, to... Oh, you, you weren't lying. You went full geek. I went full... Oh, I do. <laughs> so, like, I'm going to the pre-release this weekend for, for Magic, and I have a... Well, I have a couple options. I have a Brutalist painted Sonic shirt. <laughs> I have a similar Starry Night themed uh, Wind Waker shirt. Actually, that's more like the Japanese watercolor style painting. Oh my goodness. I have a shirt that is just the original Zelda NES map printed on one of them. And they're all like Hawaiian style shirts, right? Nice. Yeah. So, And I have a bunch of, uh, of coding nerd shirts that I bought for non-gaming stuff conventions. Good for you. One time I went on Amazon and I just, I looked for a bunch of shirts that I could find that were like $14 and I just, that was my price target. And then I just added like a dozen of them and now I just rotate through them. My wife wants me to do it too. I have seriously, seriously, seriously been thinking about doing the uniform lifestyle. Really? Steve Jobs. Yeah. I, I think, I think part of the reason I haven't done it is because I don't want to get called Steve Jobs, <laughs> but no, it's like. I wake up sometimes in the morning, like today uh, is a perfect example. I was woken up at five, and so I just got up, and it was still dark. I didn't want to wake anybody else up. And so, like, I got dressed in the dark. I comb my hair in the dark. And then I get to work, and I'm like, oh, boy, you can really tell I got dressed in the dark. I really just, it just wasn't great. And so uh, if I had just the same thing I wore every single day, the other thing is, is uh, you know, because I got a belly, I'm dropping food on my shirts all the time, depending on where I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. The casualty rate on the shirts is just, it's way damn high. It's too damn high. It's too damn high. I don't, I don't have a great success rate at recovering them either. And so I have, I have a lot of fallen soldiers in that regard. And so a uniform would just, would allow me to batch buy, you know, I could buy five shirts at a time, five, whatever at a time. And I just can't find anything that I think would look okay enough to do that. If honestly, if anybody has any suggestions, boost it in or, or con a con coder.show slash contact, go to the contact page. <laughs> Seriously. Let me know what's worked for you. I just uh, can't even anymore. I like it. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I also have the same everything. You can tell what I had for lunch by two o'clock issue. I'm worried though. My wife wants me to do it because she's sick of like, you know, me complaining. I have nothing to wear. Right. But at the same time, I think she'd get bored. So I'd have to honestly couldn't do it all the time, but at least for work or something. I mean, as long as it's a black, you know, turtleneck and blue jeans, I think you're well on your way. Like some white sneakers, maybe. 
You know, so recently I raised concerns about the Coda Radio mascot and um, the union. Those things have mostly settled in favor of the union for now, but the Coda Radio mascot hit me up on Twitter and wanted to remind me there's some big advantages to having a podcast mascot. And I just thought, you know what? This is new. We should probably get this settled because the show's, you know, we've reached a new era where we have a mascot. And he says, imagine the next podcast convention you're at. So there was just one podcast movement in Dallas last week. You walk up to a fellow podcaster. Maybe you don't particularly like them. And you just casually ask them, how's your podcast mascot doing? When he admits he doesn't have a podcast mascot, well, you could turn around in disgust and a sorrow face and just walk away and shake in your head. What has the world come to? He doesn't even have a podcast mascot. That's a great point. It's something we can lord over all other podcasts. Those jerks at Linux Unplugged don't have a podcast mascot. It's true. My inner union buster is still kind of like, but... There's some advantages, though, I feel like, you know? There are advantages, yeah. Because, like, only big-time podcasts have mascots. That's true. Yeah. Well, I feel like the mascot could be, like, you know, like our vice president, the attack dog. Sure. Yeah, yeah, like, could lead the fight if somebody's coming at us, you know? Trolls on Twitter, sure. Like, I think we all need a little dick in our life. And I, by that, I mean Dick Cheney. Let's not get wild. No. Yeah. I knew what you meant. I mean, who who doesn't need a Dick Cheney? I mean, Liz Cheney Apparently did. Apparently Liz didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know about that. Right didn't there. Oh. Didn't help at all. <laughs> Poor Liz. What a, what a way to go. Oh, man. Embarrassing. I don't think we've seen the last of her. Yeah, so note, notes on the con, though, real, real quick, right? Oh, yeah. The level of... I've been to a few of these things in my life. Just, just a few. And uh, the level of enthusiasm, the general friendliness, although I will say if you wear a super nerdy shirt, people automatically talk to you because they're like, where the hell did you get that? Sure. I have not seen a con quite this for like a small... This was the first one ever, too, for TCG Con in Tampa. So I've not seen something blow up like this in a while. And I think that's just that pent-up COVID. Like, people just want to get the hell out. Hungry for it. And if you're an event that is willing to take a little risk, you can take advantage of that right now. I've heard that about a lot of the recent events. Is that Man, it was like it was like the first time again for a lot of people. I get that. I think, unfortunately, my beloved Linux Fest Northwest is going to miss out on a lot of that hype. We'll see. So, you know, we got an email in from a listener who I, I guess I did not grab their name, so I apologize about that. Uh, but they had a great point. They say, you know, here's the thing about the remote work is it really comes down to the worker and the type of work they're doing. So he says, I'd like to make a distinction. If you're an SME, say like a system, a system matter expert, then working remotely is great because everyone comes to you. But if you're not a matter or a topic expert, then you have to make the greater effort to maintain a connection with others. I've been working remotely since 2017, and I hate it because I am a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type. Little things I used to do every day at work to help others get their stuff done are no longer part of my shtick. As a result, I have to work harder when I'm remote in order to accomplish the same tasks. That's interesting. He says he has a little bit of formula down here in the email. I feel like there should be an A% percent, B% percent balance between at work and at home, where A and B differs for different people and types of work. Hybrid. Although I hate the name hybrid for some reason. I don't know about you. I can't stand hybrid work. It feels weird. It's like it's trying to be... I don't know, like techie, like hybrid cars or hybrid development. It's like, why do we, why do we got to label it, man? Why, why can't it be like, you know, you just come in on the days you need to come in and you just work at home on the days that you feel like you do more and better work at home. And as long as the work gets done, that's all that matters. Like, why can't they get there? I, I mean, I know, 
I know why. But I'm just expressing my frustration as it just seems like that's all it would take. It's also super weird because like particularly from a small business perspective, office space that isn't like super, you know, awful is really expensive. Yeah. And those leases are very tough to get out of if the landlord chooses to make it so. Yeah, that could be multi-year. Yeah. I, I don't know why you would ever take, you know what I mean? I don't know why you would ever take the halfway route when there are so many better options. Let's say if you guys do need to meet up like once a week or twice a month, just sign up for WeWork. Do some kombucha. You'll be fine. Like, it's it's cool. Yeah, get to get together somewhere. You know, if this if this was during the pandemic, the metaverse would come up right now. <laughs> That's where we'd mention the metaverse. But uh, now that uh, we've sobered up a little bit, people don't seem to be talking about it too much. Um, and, okay, moving on. D writes in, when I was young, I thought it was so leet to live in my key bindings for Tmux and Vim and never touch the mouse. But now, as I get older, using the mouse is just simply the least painful way to use a computer and make a living. I, I was curious how your RSI is doing. I don't think we've had an RSI update on the show. For we haven't. Um, it's It's been better. A lot of it is I'm aggressively, like, I have one of those uh, autonomous standing desks. So I kind of have, a, you know, I, I went through the whole period where I basically optimized the crap out of everything. I will say using the uh, keyboard that's sitting up a little higher, I'm using the, the big launch, has helped. Not using the same keyboard every day helps because I switch between, uh, you know, this and the MacBook and the, the uh, Dev 1. Uh, yeah, pretty good. I mean, how, how, are, how about you? Better. I mean, I've done a couple of things like you. I've focused on uh, better keyboards. And I think since I started doing that, it's been a lot better as a baseline. I also got a standing desk, so I, I kind of rotate through that. And then I started taking magnesium every single night. I think that's helped a little bit. The other thing that I did, this is going to get us kicked off of YouTube and canceled, but I'll take a few Kratom Red when I'm hurting, and it helps in a way that ibuprofen and other pain medicines do not seem to help because it seems to like actually keep the inflation down at base. So if I, if I like take three a night for a few nights, it pretty much clears it up for a while for me. And that's been a really nice uh, kind of alternative and, you know, finding stuff that is decent. And I know that's one of those things that people can uh, get go get crazy with and all of that. So you have to kind of, you know, know yourself. But the, the combination of all of that stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, also staying trying to stay more hydrated and trying to get sleep has helped. I can still have a bad RSI flare up if I'm editing a lot because that just I stay really super tense. But if I remind myself, and I, I mean, it's easier to do this when I'm just doing my regular work, to just kind of loosen up, stretch, and that kind of stuff, it helps as well. So, yeah. If anybody else has some great tips or tricks, let us know. Or is always happy to pass that wisdom on. And then I wanted to cover some of the Google feedback that we got kind of all in one batch. Because we talked last week about oh, yeah. Google's 1984 moment. We all kind of remember. Truly, truly chilling. When Google flagged that dad's account for taking pictures of his son's medical issue, they auto-batched up his Google history, which he'd had in the, since the early aughts, about 15 years worth. They automatically sent that to the cops. And then they banned him permanently from the Google platform, including shutting down his cell service, not to mention just kind of labeling him as a child predator. And he's not the only one. Uh, the New York Times also highlighted another case that recently happened, and it ended up interrupting the guy's mortgage negotiation process. So we did get some reactions from that in the boost. Boostagram. Boost. Yep. We got 3,000 sats from, he for, he told me how to say this. I say wooden, but it's like Woden. Wooden 501 boosted in with 3,000 sats. Pew. 
Google's actions will have serious life-altering effects for people. Teachers, daycare workers, anyone who works with children's, folks with federal security clearances that would probably be revoked in the short term while the investigation proceeds, those types of people, all those people could lose their jobs as a result, even if they're completely innocent of any wrongdoing. I feel this seeking out new photos instead of just matching known photos is a step too far, causing more harm than good. And I'm curious if that's the line for you. You know, the CSAM database is known photos. This is based on new stuff. The idea being that, and the reason why they auto-batch and send stuff to the police, the rationale is there's still an opportunity to intervene and save a child and catch a predator in the act if we identify new stuff. If we're just going off of old stuff, it's probably too late. Yeah, I mean, it, it's too late, but not for everything. Well, is it too late? I don't know. That, let's see. Uh, there's so many strong, strong assumptions either way. Right. Because you could argue if they have even the old stuff, then that's probably somebody who should be flagged and investigated. And I mean, if you have the system, I would imagine these guys don't uh, they don't, you know, just wake up on a Tuesday and be like, I'm going to do this. Right. Right. Yeah. But that said, though. I, I am, I know, you know, we've had discussions in the past that I am more open to the save the children argument than you are. But this just is wild. I mean, the, you know, I feel like with the, the harder the response by the authorities, the more the save the children argument, you have to kind of measure it on a curve. Uh, I see what you're saying. Because this was, yeah. I mean, there's two separate things. Can a private company cut you off from their service? Yeah, they can. I mean, should they? I guess they can do whatever they want, right? And I totally understand the perspective we got from other people that, well, Google's got to like limit their liability, which, yes, right, of course. But, geez, the fact that this guy... With, with no knowledge until the police decided to investigate, you know, tell him that they were investigating him, just got his life turned upside down for actually trying to be a good parent. Yeah, and, and just taking advantage of telemedicine, which a ton of people have been pushed into. Well, that's the part that kind of chaps my ass, because, you know, during COVID, I've used uh, Teladoc, it's a telemedicine app, a couple times. I use it for my son. It's a big industry now. And, and frankly, I'm, you know for practical reasons medical reasons i don't like to go to like hospitals right now because you know where am i going to more likely pick up COVID? right people who are like really really sick i just i just can't imagine that like if the doctor says to my to my boy all right buddy i gotta see like if you have a rash or something that i'm i should you know lose all my digital stuff and prepare myself for the fbi or the local police to show up that that seems wild there should be some sort of like like there's a reason no one's arresting pediatricians for for like touching children because because it's it's their damn job right it's a medical procedure and this is just getting an opinion for what tens of thousands of years right and every parent knows that like you get a doctor you trust and you basically trust that doctor implicitly with your kid's life and everything and you assume nothing's going to happen. And we trust our phones for better or for worse that we, we, I think people, maybe they don't even realize it, but kind of like at a low level, it's an extension of their brain more so than they want to admit. The, the problem, actually, now that I think about it, the problem is we have an exception uh, really for anything, right? You could tell, you could, like your doctor can't 
testify, you know, about your medical conditions or anything. And that's completely privileged, completely secret here in the States. But the minute it goes into the minute it's on your digital systems, I guess you waive doctor patient privilege effectively or it's it seems it seems like there should be. And maybe there is. I would be interesting if you're working on this uh, listener to write in some sort of app. I mean, maybe Teladoc is that app. And maybe, but still, he just put it and it automatically saved to his photos and synced to Google Photos. And that's like, I, it just seems so hardcore. It, it, just, it just seems so kind of zero to 100. Yeah. And like, like, God damn. No time. Automatic. This dude, yeah. and you know, we've all been, we've all been there. Those of us who have kids, where your kid is acting ill, you, you, something's weird. You, you kind of go into a, and especially in the age of pandemics, you go into a, a bit of a panic, uh, and you're not thinking four steps ahead. You know, is is some some, you know, probably offshore or probably low paid contract contractor who just looks up tens of thousands of images a day gonna just kind of wrote spam this and the cops are going to show up yeah it's going to be a low effort thing and I, I hate the fact that you know google's automatically displaying it to some person somewhere probably some offshore place which even if they don't flag it is just a horrible violation of your and your child's privacy in this case and you, you could also be forgiven for just a cute moment you know the, the mother of my kids and i are separated and so we've you know for years we've shared pictures back and forth of moments at the pool or whatever like there's just you know it's just we share a lot of photos back and forth because uh you know one of us isn't there for some moment very frequently and so you know we're just totally in a trap now and i think uh trevdev boosted with 2000 sat sort of feeling the same he says thanks for the google psa my wife and i adopted google photos when our daughter was born our whole family enjoys a shared album and it has a bunch of great features for that now i have to go on all of them about them or maybe my daughter when they handle their devices because you're right these accusations are enough to destroy lives and that's just it and also the more publicity this stuff gets um the more the message is sent out to the offenders you know don't use google photos so the only people that don't really uh hear it are people who don't think they have anything to hide and they end up getting sucked into this and marcel boosted in with 2000 sats i don't want to live on this planet anymore but here's what i'm curious about how did Google train this model? You can train with hashes, but somebody eventually had to train this thing to identify new body parts and new aspects. And you think about the work that Google paid people to do or hired from some, some company where they paid people to do. I don't like where that goes quick. Like, that's the other element of this. Maybe these f***ing tech companies should just stay out of all this. Because if you think about how dark this gets for them to actually be able to have this ability, the kind of things that they had to do and the things that people had to look at, maybe they should have just stayed out of all of this. Maybe they could have built these systems so they just never routed through their servers to begin with or something. I, I don't know. Right, but, but that would defeat many of their commercial goals, right? Google Photos, I know. But when you think about how they train this model, doesn't it just disgust you when you start to think of the likely ways they, they accomplish that task? Yeah, I mean, it. well, this is, they've admitted this, right? Like, years ago, there used to be a team at Google that basically their job was to delist, uh, you know, the, the, some of the more horrific stuff. I think that's that's definitely... Uh... It's an element of it I just don't like. Um, so I have, a, I have something to kind of pick up the mood. Uh, listener Jacob tweeted at you and I, suggesting that maybe it was time to look at iOS 16 on the iPad, now that the latest beta is here. And so I gave it a really quick look. I have a 2018 iPad Pro. And I guess 
that doesn't get to have the new uh, fancy stage manager stuff or whatever it's called. So I'm a little disappointed in that. But there is one feature in iOS 16 that I really like. I think the new lock screen looks good too, but have you had an opportunity to play around with the new beta that came out? I have not on an iPad uh, for the very, very lame reason that I'm currently doing a production iPad project and don't want to update it. Oh, well, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I I have an iPad, and the kind of most production-y thing that I use it for is when I'm driving my RV, I have an ODB2 plug that plugs into the diagnostic port for the truck engine, and over Wi-Fi, that streams all kinds of data to my iPad that I log and display. And so I find that to actually be useful and valuable, but it generally doesn't break between upgrades. So I went ahead and took the plunge, and I put iOS 16 on the iPad, which Sounds like Apple's going to delay the final release. So I wouldn't expect a lot of changes. I don't know. I think they're they're focusing on the phone release for a bit, and then they're going to come back to iPadOS. But there's an aspect in iPadOS and in iOS that I am so happy to see. So I am the family manager in my iCloud shared family setup with the kids and my wife. I'm, at, I'm the person that set that up. And so I don't know if this is available for all of them, but it's available for me now is I can now in the family area, see the subscriptions for everyone's iCloud accounts. This is a big deal because understand previously you had to go to each effing device or account, look on their device and see what their subscriptions were. I had no way of reviewing all of their subscriptions, even though I'm the one paying for them. It was charging my flipping account. But I couldn't even tell you by email. I couldn't. I'd look at the receipts. There was no metadata to tell me whose subscription was what. And of course, some of these things are atrocious scams. And so you want to track it down as fast as possible. And I just like keeping an eye on all these subscriptions, as we talked about last episode. You got to, you know, you got to make sure you're keeping tabs on these things. And uh, sure enough, now all your accounts in the family plan can be reviewed in one spot in iOS. Woof. Praise jobs. That right there, in my opinion, is worth the upgrade. Well, you're about to put on the uh, the uniform, so praise jobs indeed. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm slipping into a hole, man. Save me. I, I just want to say, you, re- you remember that it's a cult, right? <laughs> uh, just, just a friendly reminder. Yeah, and uh, we do have our indoctrination tour coming up along the West Coast. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We now have the venues locked in. And thanks to our West Coast crew in our Matrix chat room, we managed to find awesome breweries for every city we're stopping in. So it's a brewery tour. We didn't even plan for that, but it just makes so much sense in retrospect. So the details are there now at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And we have selected the names. I announced them in Linux Unplugged, but I'm also going to write out, send out emails today as I record, which is Monday the 29th. I will send out emails to folks who've had uh, their name selected to join us at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory tour on September 29th. So we have Southern Oregon. We're going to have a meetup, Northern California, Southern California, and then on our way back up the coast, we're going to do a meetup in Portland. So all of those are at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Get your names in now if you're going, because we want to let the venues know about how many people to expect. I don't know if it's going to be huge, too. So if you're not a big crowd person, I wouldn't worry about it. I don't think these are going to be like 200 people meetups. I think these are going to be like 10, 20, 30 people meetups, maybe smaller, depending on the venue. So 
let us know. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And then we have that West Coast crew at bit.ly slash West Coast crew. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60 day credit on a new account. And it's just a great way to support the show while you're checking something out. Linode is fast, reliable cloud hosting. You got to try it for your next project. It's what we're using for our new website. It's what we use for any of the infrastructure we've built nearly the last three years. And now that Linode has been rolling out MVME storage, I feel like my rigs just got a silent upgrade. I, I didn't even realize it'd be available on some of the systems I already had deployed. That's one of the things I love about Linode is when I come on here and I tell you about new features, a lot of times they just give you that upgrade. They'll just work it in. You know, just this half year alone, they've rolled out multiple databases of service platforms, MVME storage, the new AMD Epic CPUs. And of course, their 11 data centers around the world have the best internet connection possible because Linode is their own ISP. That's it. And they've been doing this for nearly 19 years. And they really know how to dial it in because that 19 years has been made possible by the quality of their product, not by VC money injections that are just throwing money into a hole, but by the quality of their product selling. And that's what's kept them going for nearly 19 years. And so they, as just a matter of market forces, they've refined this thing into something that's compelling. And any skill level, a new user or an experienced developer, you're going to be able to use their dashboard, their API and all of the libraries they make available to integrate it in with your existing software or maybe infrastructure management tools as well. It's a great way to go if you're an Ansible fan. There's so many things you can try and learn over at Linode. So I think that $100, I think that's probably the thing that we should come back to. And I just got to say, that's a real opportunity to try it. Not like it's 15 bucks for a month, right? We're talking $100 for 60 days. You can really deploy some serious infrastructure. You could put something into testing. Maybe there's a project you wanted to try and you just haven't had the right machine forever. This is your opportunity. And it's a great way to support the show, too. So head over to linode.com slash coder for that. Get that $100 for 60 days on a new account and you support the show. We really do appreciate that. So again, linode.com slash coder. We call them dark matter developers, but this author calls them the silent majority. But either way, they represent a big swath of developers who probably feel a little underrepresented when they go on places like Hacker News and they see everyone talking about the latest Web3 app that they're working on or something written in Rust. Meanwhile, the bulk of them are just out there doing Perl, PHP, maybe even a little COBOL, and just chipping away at it every single day. I thought this was a pretty decent article, though, and it, it reminded me of a couple of topics we've touched on with sort of a fresh take. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I I have to say that, you know, being having done this forever, it feels like forever now, especially the show part. I love the show. <laughs> um, but having to read all the crap on like Reddit and Hacker News, it's like, oh, look, five people use JavaScript to reinvent something that was better before for no reason. Oh, look, the JavaScript framework that everybody had apparently learned last year because it was a new hotness is now the old crappy thing. Great. And I don't mean to exclusively dunk on the web dev community. It's just, it's a lot of, I mean, seriously, spend some time on Reddit and Hacker News. Uh, just, just don't go to r slash Linux. It's a, it's a bad place. Stay a while and listen. You sound like old man over there. Yeah, it's like, okay. <laughs> like, I remember, do you remember two years ago or three? Oh, God, like four years ago. It was like, 
WebAssembly, it's coming for you. It's coming for your children. All the things will be wasm. Wasm. I was going to bring that up, actually. Yeah. Remember how that was like the big thing for like 10 minutes? And, uh, well, you know, not so much, right? It, it, it certainly has its uses. It's certainly being used, but it has not conquered the world, shall we say. Now I, I'm seeing this Web3 crap. Although I have to say the Web3 stuff isn't uh, picking up quite as well, but there's a lot of it, you know. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of VC money sloshing around, and they got nothing better to do, so they're just going to keep throwing money at it. Andreessen Horowitz. Microservices are my favorite to dunk on, because let's make our application even more complicated. Right. Although they do have a place sometimes, but if you're not 100% sure it should be a microservice, then it shouldn't. <laughs> the the bit that I thought, just a couple of bits, but one of the bits that stood out to me, they write, while browsing Hacker News, I sometimes get the feeling that every developer out there is working on a Fang app. Uh, there's always somebody who's doing some sort of hype stuff. You might think PHP is never used nowadays because it's never mentioned and everyone's always hating on it. But the other thing he points out, which is the element of this, I'm not really sure we've touched on before. We've talked about the dark matter developer, which he calls the silent majority. But there's also the dark matter user, the silent user who never gives feedback, either because they're happy with the product as it is or because they don't bother to take the time to fill out surveys and submit bug reports because it's working. The silent majority are, the, are your customers. As a result, companies often have a skewed view of their user base and improve the wrong things. Yep. I've watched this happen to multiple companies from the inside. You can have fundamental systemic problems with the product that overall are going to hurt retention. And I have seen one person complain on Twitter. That tweet makes it into a leadership meeting, and then it defines the priorities for the entire leadership team for that week, which then, of course, trickles down to all of their staff. And everybody jumps into action because someone on the leadership team got tweeted at by one person. Meanwhile, there's like, you know, the boat is like taking on water. And I just, yeah, so boy, does this resonate. And the silent users who are just sort of like piecing out and like not leaving a complaint, they're just like, I'm out of here. You know, that they're not, they're not registering as a data point. So they can say they're data driven and feedback driven, but it just doesn't work. Uh, so he continues, users who are happy with the product almost never fill out the surveys. It's a waste of time. If they're using a service and they're satisfied with it, they'll just keep using it. If they're not, they just jump to another one. And then this guy proposes that the solution is that dark matter developers should be more vocal, as he puts it. When it comes to the software community, there are two schools of thought. Some people believe it's important to be vocal and share your opinions, while others believe it's better to stay quiet and let the quality of your work speak for itself. Personally, I believe that being more vocal can only be a good thing. He also argues that a lot of developers these days are constrained by NDAs so they can get you know, well down into their career, but they can't talk about most of what they've done because it's NDA'd. So he's like, you know, letting your quality of your work stand for itself isn't speak for itself isn't going to work if it's all NDA'd. What he's proposing is that developers, you know, the vast majority out there that are just working at a job, getting things done as it's assigned to them. His proposal is that they should start up blogs, podcasts, and YouTube channels and vocalize more. That just seems like Never like it's if they that just I, I don't that isn't it seems like a horrible suggestion to me, actually. So that's not how I took it, but I, I would say that's a lot to ask. 
the way I took it was more like be active on the subreddits and Hacker News. And I would argue that that is not a mentally sound thing to do for anybody. Yeah, I could see I could see that point. And I would agree. That's horrible. I mean, I, I'm not going to just dunk on r slash Linux, but why not? You know, the people who are going to engage in Reddit Flame Wars really just like love it, right? They, they, they're not there necessarily to be constructive. Now, some are, right? Some are, you know, like we'll answer questions. Uh, in particular, um, I know I'm going back, but the old Ubuntu forums used to be really good for that. Yeah, that boy, that's a ca- classic callback, but they sure were. Right. But what happened? People, so the, so the, you know, the alpha nerds started dunking on Ubuntu because God forbid you have a GUI and sound that kind of works. Too much fun, right? <laughs> uh, if it's not Arch, you know, if you didn't compile it from source, you suck. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I've, I mean, I'm sure people have noticed I don't engage on the Reddit anymore because it's really just. A, a cesspool. I, I lurk Reddit. Um, and I sometimes we find good stories for the show there. Hacker News, you, you got to understand Hacker News is not exactly an open board either. Um, it's funded and hosted by Y Combinator. And both, you know, accidentally because of where it is, it has a, and I, I'm pretty sure intentionally, it has a pretty heavy startup kind of lean to it. When you're a startup and you're raising money, you always have to say that, like, everything we're doing is the newest, hottest, sexiest, right? Right. This might be me being elitist, but I have to wonder if there isn't some truth to this. I acknowledge up front, I'm going to couch a little bit, that this is not a universal truth. Generally, people who are busy creating and making things don't spend their time taking a crap in the comments somewhere or crapping on somebody else's work. They generally are just heads down working. And so as a result, I think, not again, not majority, but I think a good chunk of the people generally participating in the discussion, especially as you scroll down in ranking, they don't have anything better to do. That might mean that, you know, while their opinion doesn't, shouldn't be disregarded, maybe it just shouldn't be fully weighted either. You know what I'm saying? Like, people who are busy making things aren't busy crapping in comment sections. It's just sort of, I think, a universal truth. Yeah, I'd even take it a step further, right? If you're really focused on making a product or a service, you're probably not going to pick the new hotness technology. You're probably not going to be doing something you haven't done before because your goal is to get it out, get product market fit, and be done. Years ago, I think we're going back a decade now, Rob Connery had a, when he had his tech pub company, which has long since uh, acquired by Pluralsight? Pluralsight? Is that the guys who ate Linux Academy? eventually uh yeah i think ultimately, ultimately yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so they were he was a part of a plural site with that uh venture and he had this great uh great post about why he built his uh tech pub stuff in net and i think it was net yeah and the answer was because i know net and i could get it out there the quickest with the least hassle and see if anybody subscribed your business is to sell the product and not to play with technology Unless West Payne challenges you, then that's different. <laughs> you never know. Sometimes he just drops. You never out. know. He's always he's always there, right, waiting to strike. Always lurking. You don't know he's there. He's very good at hiding it, but he's there. He's there. He's there every single time. Tailscale, y'all, go over to tailscale.com/coder and get a free personal account for up to twenty devices, and you support the show. Tailscale is a zero-config VPN that is changing the industry. I see more people talking about Tailscale now than ever. It's clearly because of these spots here on Coder. I mean, obviously. Oh, what's that? It's because of the quality of the product, you say? What was that? 
Uh-huh. I'm sorry, I've just got uh, my imaginary producer. Uh-huh. They have a really good product based on WireGuard's noise protocol. Uh-huh. Yeah, what's that? Builds a flash met ne- flat what? Flat mesh network. Okay. Uh-huh. Really help handy. Right. Yeah. No, I will tell them that. Yeah. Uh, my fake producer tells me that I should tell you that since we started using TailScale, I no longer have any inbound ports on my firewall, and I'm no longer screwing around with SSH jump hosts like I used to either. That used to be a thing that I like did all the time. It was like a standard maneuver. So I really feel like the way I remote compute has shifted, and it's shifted for the better in a way that's never going back. And just recently, TailScale launched TailScale SSH. Say goodbye to managing your SSH keys. No more jump boxes. <laughs> no more like setting up inbound ports so I can SSH in. It's so awesome. Easily manage your SSH connections in TailScale. And TailScale has a whole set of ACL support. Of course, they also let you put DNS in there so you can just resolve machines by their name if you'd like. It'll bust through your double NAT. I can attest to that. It'll work with your existing firewall. And it's super smart about how it routes traffic. So it's not just sending everything over the tail scale connection. You know, some VPNs do that. No, it's not going to do that. And TailScale will snap right in with your existing authentication infrastructure. So if you want to enforce multi-factor authentication, deauthorize employees who move on. If you're using it at the workplace, you can do all that. And you can also just share a single machine and a single port on that machine if you want which has been so handy when we're doing just different experiments for the shows and whatnots. So go try it for yourself. Support the whole dang network and the show and get it for free up to 20 devices when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. One more time, that's tailscale.com slash coder. So, of course, Apple's screwing the show once again. Next week, they're holding their live event on the day our show gets released. So we'll be recording on Monday, and then as Apple's doing their event, our show comes out, screwing our downloads. But also, we won't know what they're. We won't be able to cover it. Like they're just they do this to us all the time now. Uh, I think it's ever since we started criticizing Tim Cook. But Apple is holding a live event September seventh at ten a.m. next week, and it's the iPhone fourteen event, no doubt. And the teaser is far out. It looks like maybe there'll be some night photography capabilities or something like that. I don't think you're very hyped about this one. In fact, I think you have predicted this might be the most boring iPhone release ever. I am more excited about the release of uh, Dominara United for MTG. I couldn't care less about this Apple event. Now, why is that? Uh, Because I have an iPhone right next to me. It's great. Yeah. It works fine. My iPad is great. It works fine. Um, Can I tell you something? I think sales are going to be, unless they do a design change, caveat design change always sells if it's if it's not a design change or if it's a very minor design change perhaps i think this could be one of their worst iphone sales since the iphone launch because we'll see maybe not but i think everybody's really feeling the pinch right now consumer demand and consumer sentiment is way down in fact consumer sentiment is like at levels during the 2008 crash it is bad right now and i think people are just feeling the pinch of inflation the pinch of energy prices, and I think the luxury of a $1,200 cell phone just seems a little frivolous, especially when it's working just fine. You know, my wife has the iPhone like 11. It's still perfectly fine. It doesn't, I was thinking about it. It's like, she's fine. Like, I don't need to replace it when it comes up. And I don't really need to replace mine. I, I likely will because I just have their stupid subscription program. And so it's like a $50 changed 
and I have another phone, right? So I, I likely will, although probably won't be for a while because I'll be on my road trip and it's just not a priority unless they really blow our socks off. I mean, from a dev perspective, there's really nothing that's coming out that you would need this new phone for. There's almost certainly, I mean, we've, there's been leaks, right? There, there's not going to be a new screen resolution that you need to worry about. Yeah, if they had like some new sensor, perhaps, but that's not going to be for most developers. No, and, and the problem with the new sensor is are you going? You can't really exclusively develop for one device. So you still need ways to handle not having that sensor. And I don't think there is a new sensor, right? Isn't The leaks aren't suggesting that to be true. I, what I've seen leaked is that we might see a, 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 a slight tweak of the uh, Face ID That's what I saw. Notch. Yeah. So what? I mean, I, I, and I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. If, if you know, if, listener, you're excited about a new iPhone, by all means, enjoy yourself, right? We all have hobbies. Um, I just, I, you know, I've been a little bored with the Apple stuff recently. I, I don't know if it's just because I, to me, the most interesting thing they've come out with in a while is uh, Swift UI. And a lot of those ideas are straight out of things like React, right? I don't think they're going to get it with iOS. I, I, you know, they filed that trademark for reality. I, I also don't know that, I mean, I can't even imagine what an Apple headset would cost. So I'm, I'm feeling like where I was hoping that things would be really hot is the iPad. But by all reports, all rumors, iOS 16 is just a, a, a show on iPad right now. And it's still, still, they have not changed their policies. There was like a glimmer of hope that they were going to at one of the uh, WWDC, but they have not opened that up to be the true tablet computer that it can be. You know, I think Apple has made a lot of savvy moves in the last few years, but I'm wondering if on some levels, metal wasn't just a huge mistake in terms of platform adoption. Like, I wonder if they couldn't have gone just all in on Vulcan, just fully gone in on Vulcan, because I know they're involved in the standards body. It seems to me... If Apple comes out with a AR VR headset, which Mark Gurman seems to suggest they're at least getting the trademarks filed for and getting it ready, I could see them, you know, they could do the displays really well. I think they could have decent battery life. I think there would be an app store for it. All that would be there. But what would be missing is really good games, like big industry games. Or what would be missing is really immersive things that creators could throw together using the standard tools that they can use for all of the other platforms. And imagine. If every MacBook had just incredible Vulkan support, if the games ran on Vulkan, then you could use something like Proton. Instead, what we have now is like you have at best stuff that kind of is like shims that converts Vulkan and OpenGL into metal. And it's just not ideal. And it requires the developers to build those shims. And if it just seems like the limiting factor on why I haven't just gone hog wild on the M hardware is because, well, I want to play video games sometimes. I'm still forced to own PCs. And PCs that are portable, that can play video games and don't suck, are hard to come by. I was say no such animal. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be so nice if the world had just full, beautiful Vulcan support on Apple's devices. And then when they start talking about a $2,000 headset, I'm maybe a little more interested because I know there would be an entire ecosystem of applications that I could run on there. But if it's just metal, then it's just the App Store stuff. And that's too restrictive for a real computing device. For an appliance that I make phone calls on, okay, I don't mind it being locked down. 
but my tablet it needs to be more like my laptop. It needs to be like they've made the Mac a lot more like iPads. Now they need to make the iPad a little more like the Mac. They need to open up and a headset. I know this sounds silly, but if I'm going to buy a $2,000 headset that's a computing environment, I'm probably going to eventually find it to be really constricted if I can only get App Store stuff and only metal apps. It's going to be like Apple's bestest partners at the time. It's just not sufficient for a device like that. And so while I'm sure overall metal is a great strategy and it makes a lot of sense and it's given them tons of flexibility and it's a really great API overall. I think there has been a strategy tax here. Yeah. I mean, you know, for your for your average dev going forward with the headset, you're probably not even going to know it's metal because you're just going to be using Unity or Unreal. But I do think you have a point in that the even the Macs are less capable compared to say a Linux machine because they went this crazy other way. Right. I mean, it's not not that you couldn't get Proton running on Mac. Not that there are. It is. It does run on Mac, just not super well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think they don't care. Right. For them, it's it's about generating more services revenue and lock in is a is a part of that. Yeah. And it's a comprehensive platform. And it's it's just an Apple's DNA to control all that kind of stuff. And I would I would accept the argument because what the hell do I know? I'd accept the argument that metal has given Apple's platform more pros than it has cons. Um, that, that, seems, that seems possible to me. But a lot of times when we look at Apple's ecosystem and their closed nature, we sometimes don't see the cost of some of these things. And I'm not very excited about this stuff because I know ultimately it's just going to be so limited. And it's, it's still possible for Apple to create such a great experience in that limited range of stuff that it's valuable. But I'm skeptical. Um, I think at the end of the day, what we're going to get is a nicer Oculus, which is fine. I mean, I mean the mobile Oculus too, not the not the big Oculus. Uh, we'll see. I don't think we'll see it at this event. What we'll do is we'll 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 you know we'll monitor the event, and if there's anything notable, especially impactful to developers or something like that, we can always follow up with the next week. I suppose it would be nice if Apple would just uh, plan their events around the show like they used to, but alas, somebody had to go and get Tim mad. Boostergram. All right, we got a few more boosts to round out the show. OA Guy One boosted in with 2,222 sats. But honest and truly, I am Robin Hood. He says, Have you considered Twitch as a platform for continued monetization? It has a culture of cheering streamers on with monetary rewards. While it isn't open source and it is a single platform, it might be a good place to diversify your income. People stream all kinds of things, like tweaking their dot files. Maybe stream some of your server maintenance. Mike could live stream his personal development. If PeerTube had boosts and emotes built in, that'd be a different thing. What do you think, Mike? I know you've toyed with the idea of doing live stream development sessions. I, although you probably didn't look at it as like a monetization strategy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I've talked about this on the air, right? I keep wanting to do like a very kind of loose uh, learn to code for kids thing. Yeah, you know, using completely free stuff, VS Code, stuff like that, themed off of like, you know, classic fairy tales or stories or whatever, basically, you know, help to help the you know, help the sheep cross the bridge so the wolf doesn't eat them kind of thing with Python or whatever, Ruby. Just the setup to get all that running, like I got to give it to those to those Twitch people. Um, one, I have logged into Twitch twice in my life. I still don't get it. <laughs> For instance, can I watch a video that's already aired? I think it depends on the creator, I think. They can turn that on. Well, that's dumb. You're just recreating the worst of broadcast TV, right? <laughs> like, 
I yeah yeah. Um, I I just yeah I don't I don't get it. Although I am again all roads lead to Magic the Gathering. Apparently, I am watching a lot of uh, EDH slash Commander on YouTube, and that's because YouTube is a paradigm that I understand. But uh, even then, the I mean, I used to make short little instructional videos. And just the level of effort to get any content up that was even halfway decent was like what three to one. Yeah, I mean, I know you used to do the old uh, uh, Linux Action Show at your big uh, reporter desk, right? Remember the good old days? <laughs> but yeah. what, what was the production like for that? I mean, it is a thing, you know, for sure. And I think the other thing about Twitch is it kind of gives you a skewed perspective because all you see is the success. Just below the surface, there are. Tens of thousands of streamers with like two viewers grinding it out for a decade and just getting emotionally wrecked over it. It I've seen it chew people up on the inside. I'll just say quickly, you know, me being an old man now, uh, I'm not really too inclined to want to join somebody else's platform and they dictate what I can and can't do. They dictate when I get paid. They dictate what the circumstance. It's like I've just done that game so much. I'd I'd rather I'd rather use PeerTube and just wait for the community to build in boost support and things like that and build the audience over there, even though it'd be much slower. You know, like I look at Jupiter Tube, the views, you know, a couple hundred views, 300 views. Of course, the view counts are not accurate either, but in another year, they might be getting what the YouTube videos are getting. And beyond that, you know, that's all I care about. I just want people to have another option besides the commercial platforms. I wonder if Noob Steve had a uh, a theme. So let us know, Noob Steve, if 4,444 sats represent something. But I say it's a hot boost. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> He says, I agree with all of Mike's points on subscriptions. I'm also burnt out. Uh, I have three that I don't dread paying for. Apple One, LastPass, and Jupiter Party. hey Thanks, Noob Steve. He says, I'm at the point where I'm going to use an app more than once. I just gladly pay one-time 50 or lifetime 100. You know, if I had even pay 100 bucks for a lifetime, I would do that over paying $5 a month. I just hate having to track all these. Adobe kills me with this specifically. I have I have to often convert a PDF to Word documents, maybe, you know, maybe eight times a year. Well, he continues with another 4,444 sets. Coming in hot with the boost. I can't just spend 50 bucks on Adobe Pro and call it a day. I have to subscribe for $14.99 a month. Then I end up forgetting to cancel it, so I end up paying more money. Or if I remember to cancel it, I just have effectively have to pay it again next time I need to convert something. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> The Adobe one grinds my gears, too. I hate the Adobe one. I used to get it for free. Uh, I mean, uh... Oh, uh, did you see that in Canada right now, they have a Photoshop web trial that they're doing? Really? Yeah, you can use it from America. I wonder if that does a web assembly. Actually, I'm really curious if it does. I wonder. I forgot forgot how you find it, but I think if you look, if you search for Photoshop web Canada beta or something like that, it it may it may in fact Canadians this is your moment I know <laughs> get us a Isn't VPN that, and a link they got something first isn't that nice good for them not even mad well you know why they're afraid of the feedback and they they know those salty Americans would just be like get the hell out of here right might as well get the feedback from the nice folks WM boosting with two thousand sats <laughs> I have a serious question I am a high functioning autistic I've always had a hard time understanding or noticing things others find obvious social interaction is a big category of stuff I struggle with. I never thought I would land an IT job, but I did. I thought I would fit in with my new peers, but I don't. It was like joining a small frat of anime dude bros. I was really excited and happy at first, but soon realized I don't quite fit in 
and they don't seem to try to hide it. Anyone have an experience to share? Trying to fit in. Another issue with going to the office is sometimes trying to fit in with the group. WM, I wonder if I, I'm not a big anime person myself, so I would struggle with this as well. If they literally are like a group of anime fans and you're not, that can be tricky. One thing that you can always do is if you can put up with it is get people talking about the things they like. They love talking about the stuff they enjoy. So you can start asking questions like I would approach them with, hey, how would you recommend a newbie get started? Like, here's what I don't really want. Here's what I'm into. Where would you recommend I start? You could probably get them talking to you for days. You could probably get them creating lists for you. So that might be one one suggestion. Yeah, I mean, that, it's a tough one because, you know, it, it's interpersonal stuff can be hard. I mean, I will, would, I guess I like Chris's advice, but even, even on top of that, you know, just focus on what you're supposed to be doing for the job, right? Don't, don't let it get to you. Don't let it become a distraction. Just do what you have to do. I, I, I know it's horrible advice. It's if these guys decide to be jerks, they decide to be jerks. I, I don't think they, you know, it, it's important to know, like, is this something that's really happening? Like, is it, in if so, is it intentional? Or are they just kind of insensitive, perhaps insensitive, right? Like maybe they're this like it, it sounds very high schoolish, right? Are there these these click of uh, click click whatever of dudes who are just all into? I don't know much about anime either, so <laughs> Sailor Moon, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like just because you don't know about it, it's hard to get in the conversation. Maybe I mean I will say it would, again, all the roads lead to Magic the Gathering. There definitely was like a corner of anime people at this thing, and oh, I bet. Oh yes, a lot of large plastic swords. I have no idea what the hell that's all about. Although one guy <laughs> seemed to be dressed up like the dude from Final Fantasy VII. Well, that's kind of cool, I guess. That, like I got that one. I got one. Yes, <laughs> it's like being Captain America when you finally get a reference. Like, haha, I got one. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't sweat. I mean, I know it's hard to not sweat it, but just do your job. Try to be friendly when you can. Try to ask them what else they're into. Maybe find common ground in the work you're doing, whatever tech stack or whatever technologies you're working on, and go for there, right? Ultimately, you know, your job is really not your family. And if it's just a job for you where you go in, you do your shift, you go home, make friends outside of work that are into Magic the Gathering. There you go. And our last boost comes in from the pod sage himself, Dave Jones, with 12,000 sats, another hot boost. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> I wish Microsoft would just bite the bullet and switch Windows from the NT kernel to the Linux kernel. <laughs> they would save a ton of money on R&D and solve all their kernel security exploits in the process. Linux kernel with a Windows shell sounds appealing to me. Oh, man, this seems like the ultimate nerd fantasy. I've, I've heard iterations of this. And Dave, I have to be honest with you. If Microsoft shipped Windows on top of a Linux kernel, I would absolutely 100% give it a go. I'd give it an honest go. I'm not saying I'd stick with it because for me, the NT kernel, I don't really have a lot of issues with. I don't think it's the best piece of work. And you're right, it does have security issues, but what doesn't? Uh, for me, it's the UI, man. It's like, you know, you got, you got 15 years of history in that Windows UI and it's like an onion. 
like the top is like the most recent Microsoft design team aspirations. And then like you go one layer down and it's like the previous design team's aspirations and you go another layer down and then it's like the old Windows 2000 style stuff. And then you go another layer down and it's just like DOS and you know, well, it's not really DOS, but you know what I mean? Like you, there's still times in Windows where you still have to drop down to the command line. I, I don't know. I just find all of that just sort of like, like they never, they never did a big purge and clean. Like Windows needed a big purge and clean probably after XP or something. I don't know. Like just do an Apple style or do a Linux GNOME style. Just clear the decks and rebuild. Only they would have the actual resources and teams where, and Microsoft does this. They have two teams in parallel, right? Working on the next version of Windows. Well, they used to. They could have had one team working on like the refreshed user experience. But instead, they went off in the land of database file systems and all kinds of wacky stuff that they had to abort for Longhorn. And what we got was just cooked up NT4. And that's what we still have today. And NT4 was a fine OS back in 1998. (laughs) But it's feeling a little long in the tooth now. And that's my only issue is the Linux kernel would bring you a lot of great things in terms of features and capabilities and stuff that's just nice to have and great emulation environment and it creates a great a great way to run containers on windows like that would be really useful and you know you wouldn't need the whole wsl subsystem at all it could all just be pure all those would be positives but i think the big negative would still be the ui Mm, i think there's more negative than that oh yeah (laughs) well there's also the tracking (laughs) there's all the the constant advertising their latest stuff to you in some subtle way or forcing some voice assistant onto your system all of or their web browser all of that would still be a thing, too, I suppose. I mean, I have this complaint about Mac, right, that you have to, like, log into some synchronized account to use your computer. That seems... Oh, my gosh, dude. Like, Monday morning, when I haven't used the computers for a few days, I get in. Oh, yeah. they. And it's, yep. it's like, there's so much... There's, like, six different notifications. I got to log into, like, seven different things. Like, if I didn't have Bitwarden, I would spend an hour logging into stuff. And it's still tedious, because I still got to, like... A lot of them are, like, modal dialogues where I got to launch the Bitwarden app, I got to search for the provider in there, copy all that stuff, paste it into the dialog box because, you know, it's just all these different random ass, like inconsistent login boxes that pop up. And it's just so much. I sure am getting a fan of becoming a big fan of Nix OS and Gnome together. It just feels like a real tight, nice, nice little OS. Yeah, it, it's, oh God, it just, I don't know. I It's supposed to get better, right? Wasn't that the implicit deal? Like when we were kids and we were getting into computers, like we put up with things being rough and the graphics sucking and the speeds being slow and things being glitchy and the voice stuff not working because it was going to get better. Right. That was the implicit deal. We put in the time and as a result, we're supposed to get good stuff. <laughs> we didn't get good stuff. Yeah. I, I, well, I, th- I think what happened is the, the business model changed from I want to sell you first hardware then I want to sell you software via somebody else selling you hardware. And Apple's like, what are you talking about? Still hardware. And now it's like, yeah, that's not enough up and to the right. So now I need to sell you continual uh, renewing services. Hey, you're going to buy less of my $1,000 phones? All right. Turn up the advertising then. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, I, I think, you know, we can never go back. And the OS just serves that purpose now. That's what the OS does. And that's why they're free now. I mean, we're never going to get back to the days of, you know, the, the wizard beards of Sun Microsystems, God rest their souls, giving us just good quality software. Right. In fact, let me throw this at your face. Brace yourself for this one. Are we doomed for this to be Windows forever now? 
perhaps we will never see the great rewrite that like Dave would be proposing because they're no longer making a hundred, 200, 300 bucks a pop, right? They used to have like the home edition and the pro edition and like they'd sell those for a couple hundred bucks and they could actually make a profit from the operating system. But now, now that's all, all the OSs are free. They're all free. And like, it's really hard to justify spending, you know, maybe five years or whatever it would take a corporation their size to research and develop, you know, an entire re-architecting of windows to clean all these things up. It just seems like with these new business models that you're talking about right now, that kind of labor on the operating system is more off the table than ever. It's just going to be small incremental improvements to serve the overall platform. Yeah, I think that's basically it, right? Everything's going to go to cloud services and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. well, this got depressing. Yeah. Well, there's Linux. You know, maybe these Linux podcasts I'm doing are going to take off in a few years. Because <laughs> you know, like I, it, Linux doesn't seem to be stopping, and people are continuing to adopt it for some crazy reason. There's still new users coming to Linux, and maybe it's just you know the more dystopia this gets, the more appealing something like. Something that's just like an old computer. Seriously, like the idea that it's not syncing to the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe uh, if you'd like to boost into the show, we'd love to have your support and your message. Go to newpodcastapps.com to find a new podcast app that supports podcasting 2.0, which is a whole range of brand new features coming to podcasting, extending the current RSS, keeping it in free open RSS. And one of those is the Boostergram support. You can grab Breeze, B-R-E-E-Z dot technology if you don't want to switch podcast apps. I know you AntennaPod users love your AntennaPod. And AntennaPod is looking at integrating Breeze. So get a head start. Get it all figured out. You can also try out Fountain FM, which will stream sats as you play podcasts. And Podverse, which is an open source, multi-platform podcasting 2.0 app. And we are also using it on our new website as the embedded player. So our embedded player We'll have podcasting 2.0 features like chapters right there on the web player. And then if you're already a Podverse user, you can click through and get to all of your podcasts and just continue listening. So newpodcastapps.com for all of that. And a big thank you to our members as well for supporting the show and giving us the availability to say no. Uh, I almost read another email. If you like if you like some of these crazy emails that come in, like the, the, the offers that people send us, I could do it occasionally, very rarely. Let me know send a boost in or an email, but we got one that was pitching to pay us to have a, like they have a bench of AI experts. I don't know if you saw this email that came in, Mike, but it's like, this gal's like, you got to get, you know, on the AI machine learning bandwagon. And here's a bench of experts that you, we can make available to you. And of course they all have something to sell, all have something to shill. They all have a book or like a, like an online training course or something. And they come on and, you know, we're supposed to pretend like it's a real interview and we're supposed to give them an opportunity to show their stuff. And then we get paid. <laughs> the whole thing is so shady. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that like JB's never going to have to get involved in because our members are one of our most important customers. That's it right there. And you can become a member at coderqa.co. You also get an ad free show and you get the coder report when it comes out and you can get all the shows at jupiter.party, all the special features and no ad versions at jupiter.party. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send the good people this week before we get out of here? Probably therapy if we keep mentioning sun. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Java Duke. Oh, I already did it. You missed it. You totally missed it. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Oh, I'll have, to, I'll have to listen back. They're my favorite moments. Follow me on uh, Twitter at Dumanuko and uh, wish me luck. I'm playing in two magic tournaments this weekend. Oh, yeah, buddy. Well, let us know how that goes. 
You can follow me at Chris LAS. The podcast is at Coder Radio Show. You can send your feedback there as well. Our Telegram group, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash Telegram. And of course, our Matrix, coder.show slash Matrix. Those are all places you can get more content, get in a real-time conversation. But we love your feedback. That contact form, those boosts, that's the way to get your message into the show. Coder.show slash contact or newpodcastapps.com. Links to what we talked about today, coder.show slash 481. And don't forget, we're live Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Thanks for joining us. See you right back here next week.